Hi, I'm Natasha. And I'm Penny. And you're listening to The Wibs, the podcast for women in business. We're here with practical, real advice to help you get ahead at work. Without the BS. We'll be the work wives you've always wanted. Let's go. Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of our weekly Wednesday Whip. Today on the podcast, we interview our very first guest for the show, the incredible Miss Leah Finch, the people and culture advisor at Blue Rock, which is an entrepreneurial advisory firm based in Melbourne. In the episode today, we talked to Leah about how she went from creating cupcakes to carving out her space in the corporate world, why she thinks you should throw out the rule book when it comes to career timelines and what her biggest achievements at work are. We hope you love the episode as much as we loved making it. Let's dive in. Hi, I'm Natasha. And I'm Penny. And welcome to The Wibs. This is our first ever guest interview. And today we have the lovely Leah Finch, who is the People and Culture Advisor at Blue Rock. To give you guys a bit of a background before Leah jumps on, Leah is my best friend. We've been best friends for many a years, maybe like 15 or so years. I don't want to give away how old we are, but about 15 years. Leah, do you want to start off by saying how we first met? Maybe the first time we laid out each other in a drama class? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. So Natasha and I met, I think it was year 10 drama class. Mm -hmm. I was the stereotypical goody two shoes on time, ready to go. Mm very studious and Natasha stormed on in, <laughs> stomping her feet. Forever when, subtle. When T-bar school shoes were the trendy oh, So you would have been like a little. Yeah. So she wore them undone. She stomped on in, shining lip gloss mm-hmm. and braces. Some things don't change. <laughs> and uh, definitely made a statement and I, I scoffed at it. But then again, <laughs> here we are 15 years later. <laughs> Still besties. I know. I know. It's, it's been quite the journey and. Leah has been the person that I open up to about absolutely everything. I think most of the things that we've spoken about on the podcast, she's already well aware of because she's one of the first people I call. We've got a very close friendship group. We definitely share a lot. So when it came to getting this podcast together and doing our first guest, it made complete sense to have Leah as our first official guest. So to get it started, Leah, if you could describe yourself as a cocktail which one would it be? Good icebreaker question. To remind you, Leah, what was yours, Penny? Very complicated, <laughs> which is, yeah, that's niche, but I've made it since. So, yep. honeybee gin or something. Honeybee gin. Yours was espresso martini. martini, yes. This is a hard one. I think I would say a mojito. Ooh, Ooh I love this. There's not a lot of thought to it. And I'm not describing myself <laughs> in that way. I'm like saying I, I didn't think too much about it. I just thought it's fun, it's fresh. It's refreshing. Mm, it's a bit energetic, yeah. upbeat. In a tall glass for you. In yes. tall glass. Tall glass. <laughs> tall glass of water. Yeah. <laughs> no, I like it. I think it's I think it's hard sometimes when you have to think of yourself as a beverage, but you know yeah. what? It no. just makes us thirstier for the weekend. So this question's really important, especially to kind of get to know you and your position in the workplace as a woman. What is your most embarrassing woman in the workplace story? Yes. Okay, so I was having a think about this one. So in my my first job, so I was a recruitment consultant and I basically was thrown in the deep end, hit the ground running, and I was required to do site safety inspections. Okay. So if we think about I was going to place a, a casual cleaner in an aged care facility. 
Okay. And so before I could place them there, I had to make sure that we dotted our I's, we crossed our T's, we ran a site safety inspection. Now, for someone who's just started the first full-time job, the idea of doing a work health and safety inspection with a 22-page risk assessment, this was nerve-wracking. This was, I did a few of them and... I mean, people probably don't love you coming into their workplace telling them what is unsafe. <laughs> You're the bad guy. I can't imagine why. Yes. <laughs> so coming in as the safety police so that you can place a cleaner from a third-party agency into their environment. So what I didn't realise is that the risk assessment was a document that you performed after the inspection back in the comfort of your own <laughs> Yay. But by all means, I thought that I had to complete these yes. 22 laborious pages. <laughs> yes. Absolutely you did. With the gentleman on site. Yes. Right? Oh, and so, I, so you're trying to impress, you know? He's, I'm yeah. trying to impress. Absolutely. I'm putting on a brave front. I'm <laughs> taking it very seriously. I'm being firm. I'm being stern. I've G'd myself up in the bathroom beforehand mm-hmm. and I'm running through these. <laughs> yeah, what was, yeah, I did the power pose. <laughs> did the power pose in the bathroom. Now I'm running through this 22-page risk assessment and I get to the section. Now he's not that impressed. Like he's, losing, <laughs> he's, he's losing patience but he's got to get through it. He was yep. being short, sharp, yes, no, yes, no, yep. like not elaborating what have you. So I get to the section that's doing a a risk assessment on any hazardous chemicals that might cause harm to our casual worker if we place them into this workplace. And it's a cleaning job in the hallways of an aged care facility, low risk. Now I, (laughs) now mind you, this was all pre-COVID-19, this was all say, oh, I reckon it was in 2016, 2017. And I read the page to him and the question was, <laughs> what is the likelihood that a hazardous chemical could be spilled on someone? Or what is the likelihood that a hazardous chemical, that someone would trip on a, a, a spilled hazardous chemical? And questions around yeah, the danger yeah. of this, right? <laughs> so the question was, what is the likelihood that our casual worker could breathe in hazardous chemicals on site? And I looked at him dead in the eye and I said, Okay, next question. What is the likelihood that our casual worker will be breathed on? <laughs> and, and he, he breathed on. Breathed on. What <laughs> is on. Uh, yeah, yeah, what is the likelihood that they'll be breathed on? Yeah. And bless, like he, he, he probably thought that I read it wrong, yeah. but he responded with, uh, Breathed on. Oh, by the residents, I guess. <laughs> the poor, the poor guy. To save my feelings. And it wasn't until I came back into the office that my manager read over it, double-checked it, and I was mortified. But it was hilarious, but it, it was cringely embarrassing. I like it, though. But it's a, yeah, oh, it makes for a bit out. of a story. Yeah. It makes for so, all of, that's the best part about all of these stories. It's just like you can laugh at it because we've all done, it's almost like that, you know, when someone says like, what is it when you say like, oh, how are you? And they're like, they're like. Good, well, thanks. Yeah. No, no, they say. Yeah, how was your meal? No, how, how was, was your meal? meal? Yeah, no. How was yours? Like, <laughs> yeah, oh, happy <laughs> birthday, you too. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, it very goes, it goes into that step of things where it's just kind of like you get all jumbled up and you're like, I'm just trying to do my job. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. I, I need to just stop. And Especially in the early years. That's why I love sharing or this. Or if you're us in the later now, ones. Yeah, absolutely. But honestly, I wish I heard some more of these when I was younger because we all made mistakes like that and it was just kind of like 
am I the only person? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a safe space. Yes. And now it's only you, me, Tash, and the internet that knows. So it's good. <laughs> it's good. Yeah, it's it. fine. Feels safe. You're exposed. So can you tell us something in your career that you're most proud of? I am most proud of gaining my current position. Awesome. Yeah. Congratulations. I clap and then I realised that there's a big, huge microphone next to me. But yeah, yes. which, I mean, yeah, I'm keen to share a bit more about my background after this, but it's it's really going from a background working in recruitment agencies mm-hmm. through to people and culture advisor and a, a fairly um, generalist yeah. HR type position, mm-hmm. which has really challenged me. So, yeah, I'm I'm proud that I secured it in the first yeah. place. Well, that's amazing, and congratulations. I know, like, especially when you're transitioning into doing something a little bit like outside of what you're used to, it can be tough to transition. But good on you, girl. Okay, so. What you just spoke about there I think was really important when you said you're really proud of going from that specialist to generalist role because I feel like as you get more senior in your career, you can kind of find yourself going from, you know, working on the tools to start having to expand your tool set in, in a different way and mm. be that more, you know, overarching advisory role. So do you want to tell us about your experience and kind of how you got to where you are now? Mm. Yeah, sure. All right. We'll go right back. So while I was studying at uni, so I, I studied a, a master's of counselling and psychotherapy. So basically end to end five years of uni and I worked at a cupcake shop that whole time. So basically came back from year 12 schoolies and started at a cupcake shop. Yeah, which, I mean, it, it got to the point where it was just like, oh, okay, this is this is starting to get boring. I could probably do it in my sleep, but I wanted to focus on my studies. Yeah. I did look for roles within counselling and student wellbeing because I was doing placement at a high school, counselling students with depression, anxiety and things like that. But then I got to the point where I was just like, all right, I need to get my foot in the door. I need to get a full-time job, yeah. just step into the workforce I think I was actually up against teachers and humanities teachers yeah, and fair. people with, you know, 5, 10, 15 years experience on me in the education sector. And I look back in hindsight and I'm actually really, really glad that I chose to go into commercial business as opposed to in the education sector. So funny because I remember when that when that first happened, that first, I guess you mm. could call it setback then, it, was, it, it can be quite crushing because you're kind of mm. like, I've worked my butt off, I've got a degree, mm. I'm about to get into my first job and you thought it was going to like set you up for this career in counselling at a, at a school and it's funny how it kind of then turns into something better. Yeah, that's mm. right, yeah. There was this period between uni and securing my first full-time role where like I was the one in our friendship group working at a cupcake shop and my my closest girlfriends, including Tash, you know, already had their wheels spinning, getting their experience under their belt. And yeah, like we went to Europe and I got this, what, what did we get? This crazy catamaran, like the bougiest lifestyle catamaran <laughs> yeah, on a cupcake wage. Yeah. Yeah. You and know? a credit card. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and, and <laughs> message my big brother to send me a thousand bucks while we we're in Amsterdam, yeah. you know? So I think. It's yeah. a hard stage to be in out of uni. Yeah. And there's probably something to take away from that is that. Don't be too hard on yourself that your timeline doesn't match accurately with your peers and people around you because people accelerate at different points throughout their career. Mm, That is so true. That is 
it's something like I think particularly in your 20s, it's a time of comparison because mm-hmm. everyone's sort of, okay, you finish off your high school or you, you're doing a diploma, whatever you're doing in life, you go to uni or you start working and then all of a sudden everyone's on the same pathway and then you sort of go and split. So true. Yeah, you're all on the same pathway because you're all at school and you're all doing the same things and all of a sudden it's like, wait, now it's up to us what our future looks like. <laughs> yeah, it can be really, yeah. a really lonely and challenging time. But, yeah, it's really good to hear you talk about that because I think a lot of people would have had a very similar experience. Yeah, that's right. And so I um, secured my first full-time role as a recruitment consultant. I look back and it actually I'm really grateful for how it challenged me and it basically threw me in the deep end. Mm. So I went from I was doing uni and doing counselling placement and things like that, but I basically went from serving cupcakes to pitching terms of business to CEOs in a two-week period. Wow. <laughs> like they threw me in. So casual. There was no, yeah. yeah, there was no internal role. It was okay. like you are market-facing. You've never even worked in a nine-to-five. Like you've never even worked in a professional role, but you go straight into it. So the expectation was 10 cold calls a day, another 10 cold calls chasing up roles that were advertised wow. on Seek, work health safety inspections. Completely thrown into the data. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's so yeah. interesting to hear you like obviously Tash and I have both studied journalism in marketing and it's so interesting to hear that that also happens across other industries as well yeah. because yeah us, it's like it sometimes feels like it can be a bit of a marketing thing to to be you know jack of all trades in your mm-hmm. first kind of role that you do but it's really interesting to hear that it's happened to you as well yeah yeah and it was just we were in a, a national company but really our our Melbourne office had three or four people mm. at any given time and my manager moved back to the UK so it's basically running the Victorian branch it would be anything from work health safety site inspections like I'd, I'd drive out to a polystyrene foam manufacturing plant and do a, an entire risk assessment of their factory for a forklift driver and then I'd have to go back and recruit the forklift driver and then meet with the CEO and say that I'll find him a sales executive and interview eight different sales executives in their 40s and 50s and one of them would ask me one of them really put me on the spot like this stereotypical American man almost like turn the interview around I'm interviewing him for a sales executive role and he was like looked me dead in the eye and was like so how long have you been doing this for (laughs) yeah that's nice oh we love that that's lovely I'm a few weeks in, like I'm oh. green as day, and I was like five years. Yes, <laughs> the confidence you in the eye, and I was like, no, you're not gonna. Good on you. Know, like, even though five years me, ago, I just was... put me to test. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, yeah. let me try and do my job. But there was a real range there. Anything from we'd manage at any given time, we'd have probably 50 casual workers across multiple sites around Melbourne. So this would be managing a roster of 30 commercial laundry workers. There would be an after-hours service and this was diverted to my mobile. So I would work nine to five and then I would manage a roster. So the rule of thumb was if anyone would call in sick for their production working shift at 6 a.m., 7 a.m., They'd all start around that time. Oh, my God. They would call my... call? Yeah. So constantly. I remember we'd be out and Leah would bring her phone out and I was like, just put it away, we're drinking. (laughs) No. She was good. Yes. And the phone would ring. It would be, yeah, we would be out at the pub on a public holiday. It would be 
5am, 6am, and I'd be calling other people to replace their shift before I'd get to work at nine. Yeah. Even to the point of a a beach house down in New Year's. I put a a mattress in the hallway so that when the phone rang and someone called in sick, I wouldn't wake my friends up. Yeah. That is commitment. That is pure, pure commitment. Finch, you are dedicated. Very, very dedicated to the cause. I mean, that gives you a bit of an overview of really the start of my career and then moved, moved into recruitment in the insurance and wealth management space and and spent a fair bit of time being client facing also doing a more internal HR onboarding all-rounder type of role and then moved into business development so yeah really rigorous work she does it all ladies and gentlemen we love that can you tell us a little bit Leah about what your current role is like Yeah, sure. So I have now been with Blue Rock for six months. So I'm the people and culture advisor. So a bit of an overview of Blue Rock. So we're a multidisciplinary entrepreneurial advisory firm. They're really cool. They're just cool. They're really cool. <laughs> See, I didn't know that. When I thought Blue Rock, I thought accounting. Is this right or wrong? Yeah. So we started out as an accounting firm in 2008. So mm. Pete Laylaw is our founder, CEO. And over time, we've added a range of different divisions. So basically, we're at well over 300 employees, wow. three offices in Melbourne CBD, and we have the plans to grow to 30 offices running at 30 mil revenue globally. It's huge. Yeah. It's huge. Incredible. So it's accounting, finance, law, private wealth, self-managed super funds, general insurance, digital marketing, grants and incentives. There's a huge range of different professionals, people who do coding, graphic designers. You can really tell it's a good business when you know, someone who's been there for six months, and I know you're an extremely dedicated person, but regardless, someone who's been there six months can tell you the goal and the vision of the business mm. in the first line. Like that's a huge testament to the business and the culture that they've built because to be able to say the vision of that 30 officers, 30 mil, like that is such a huge goal. But the fact that you can just recite it like and you're so passionate about it, it's a testament to what they do and how they're able to keep their people and culture. Mm. Yeah, that's right. And I love being a part of a business that that holds the people in culture function in high regard or or perhaps sees it as a really essential part of the business. We're a really people-focused, community-focused environment. It's very social, lots of fun social events, free lunches, Friday drinks. They've got it covered. Yeah, an annual company retreat. Please (laughs) say what you had your company. Like, this is unreal. So they flew everyone up to Daydream Island in the Whitsundays. That is incredible. Yeah, (laughs) so, yeah, we were all Like, everyone. All in a resort. Unreal. Um, Tash, when are you flying? I know. Can we cut that little bit out? (laughs) I don't want anyone to hear that. That is, it's an unreal business that you work. And it's so nice to kind of speak to what your experience was and then to speak to where you are now because obviously you found yourself in a role that is different to some extent to what you started and to some extent to your experience, but it does consolidate all of it so perfectly. Mm. In a business, it's so good. So I guess the next thing I want to know is what makes you particularly unique in this area? Like what do you specialise in that makes you so special in this area? Okay, so my role as a people and culture advisor, it's HR, recruitment, 
business partnering, so being that advisor for the directors of different divisions, Mm. engaging people, employee engagement. So basically looking after and developing the good people that we have and then introducing new people into the business as well. And I think what makes me unique in this, I think it's my communication style and my ability to adapt the way that I communicate to all different people in the business. And whether it be the CEO, a market-facing person, an internal person, all the way through to a graduate or an intern, I think I, I tend to create a pretty encouraging and positive environment for people and tailor my communication style to them. Yeah, I think people skills are the most underrated skills of all. Mm, yeah. I think if you have strong people skills, you are set up for success because then the day, regardless of what kind of industry you're in, people do will play a part in it in any part, whether it's even if you're a solopreneur, however you say that, and you have to deal with somebody at the bank, you have to deal with someone, that people skills are so valuable. And I think the ability to be able to get people on your side and on your team and want you to succeed is really, really important. So, yeah, no, I, I think that's definitely a unique s- skill in this area. Especially can- for, like, female leaders, women in business in general because I think it's something – we've spoken about this before that it can often be a, a skill that's overlooked. And mm-hmm. I think being in the industry that you're in and also being in that kind of area of career path, I think you would understand how important it is to be able to have that adaptable communication style because mm-hmm. not everybody is the same and you're going to want to be able to adapt how you're talking and how you're communicating depending on the person. I feel like it's really interesting. The most any business owner that I've spoken to or person in management, when I ask them what the biggest concern is or what their biggest challenge is, I would say 90% of the people that I've spoken to personally all say people. So whilst people skills are one of the most important skills and underrated skills, I think businesses are starting to learn more how important They're people and culture is. And that's why these these businesses that are growing so fast and that are so successful are hiring people like yourself with that experience of, you know, what makes you unique is the fact that you do have that, yes, that really engaging personality, but you've also studied it. You've learned their different skills within your experience that might not be in the same thing you're doing now, but it built you up for success in this mm. role, which I think is just hugely important mm. to look at kind of what's got you here. So in terms of you're here, you're unique, you're doing your thing, what are your top tips for someone wanting to get into an industry like this or get into a career like yours? Yeah, so I think my top tip, it would be to think about how you're managing the expectations of the people around you. Mm. And so stepping into this role, okay, so coming from working for a recruitment agency, which is a service provider to a range of different clients and in, and finding the right employees to join clients. You know, there's a bit of a rule of thumb there that you've got to speak to your clients if you found the right person. But even if you haven't found the right person, you've got to speak to them anyway, keep them up to date, manage their expectations, tell them what you're doing, tell them what actions you're going to put in place to try and provide the person that they're looking for. And my tip would be that it's the same sort of approach internally. So that's been a bit of an adjustment for me is that, and I knew that I would have this adjustment, say, if I'm trying to run a number of projects or initiatives or recruit people for our directors of different divisions, they're my clients Mm. and they sit not too far away from me, right? So it's dealing dealing with that pressure and being right at the forefront of it and 
being really open and honest and feeding back on yeah. what you're doing and mm. keeping them up to date and, and never assume that because you're working really hard on it, if they haven't heard anything, then people will typically assume that you're not doing um, anything. But you're not yes. doing anything. So it's that yeah. constant feeding back on your process and how you're progressing yeah. with meeting their expectations. That's such good advice because it is true and I think especially if someone was a bit greener in the industry, the way that you communicate what you're doing each day, and that's valid across any industry. Oh, absolutely. You have to communicate. If you're going to be managed or by anybody, you need to communicate. And sometimes it's like perfection. You know, you're trying to be perfect before you present. It's that whole thing. It's like, no, they just want to know that you're doing what they're asking. Yeah. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be done today. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because people freak out a whole lot less when they know what's going on, shockingly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. My other main tip would be around maintaining a balance between following the process and meeting your requirements in terms of compliance Mm. and dotting your I's, crossing your T's, balancing that with keeping up to speed with an agile, fast-moving entrepreneurial environment. Leah, I love that because, shocker, Natasha and I are not as much process-driven people. No, and no. I You guys are cowgirls. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but you and doing your role, you need a level of process. And I have always struggled with people who are yeah. super rigid on processes yeah. because, you know, if you are of an entrepreneurial nature, there's part of you that's just going to, yeah, want to be a bit of a cowgirl and go for it. Mm. And you have a team. And you have a team and you have people that rely on your work to get yeah. this stuff but that's, done. that's such good advice to be able to bridge it and balance both. Like you don't want it to be just one. You, you can't no. just be rigid in your thinking, your processes. You have to accommodate for both sides of it. That's really, really good advice. Yeah. And I think there's still a lot for me to learn in terms of my technical HR knowledge. I don't come from a a full-blown HR background. I come from a more client-facing recruitment. It's a stream of human resources, Mm. but it's more client-facing and sales. So I don't come from a really rigid process-driven HR background. So while there's still plenty for me to learn, it probably lends well in Blue Rock, a fast-paced entrepreneurial environment that's ever-changing. You've got to be really agile and you've got to be really responsive and there's a true sense of urgency because it's so yeah. fast-paced. I think also speaks to your creative nature as well. Mm. Like, you know, if you just put into a corner for too long, you know, regardless mm. whether you're process-driven or not, if you're a creative person, it's quite hard to kind of be stuck in that box. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. So what would you say throughout your career thus far is the biggest hurdle that you've overcome? I think the the biggest hurdle was when we first went into the COVID-19 lockdowns. <laughs> what? COVID? <Ooh>. hurdle? <laughs> <laughs> So that March 2020, going into a Victorian lockdown, I was working with a team. So we specialised in insurance and wealth management recruitment, which really 90% of the work that we did was permanent recruitment. Permanent recruitment in what are non-essential businesses, you think in that climate and what we were deciphering between. So we had 70 jobs that we were actively working on for clients and that's our pipeline of work. And over the course of 48 hours, that list of 70 active jobs went down to three across the team. Three. That is so stressful. Mm. Jeez. That's your entire pipeline of work for the team just 
completely dissolving in a really, really snap short period of time. And so the huge hurdle there was, okay, how do we stay afloat and keep a team afloat and build up enough of a pipeline of work during a period of time where every client and every business around us is putting on a recruitment freeze. So we were put to the challenge to basically keep the business afloat by cold calling like maniacs, cold calling out to the market in all different industry sectors, as left, right and centre as you could go really. And so it was basically everyone. Yeah, so it was everyone do twenty cold calls a day, and then we'll jump on a a Teams call at four, and you can report back about what you've done. So it was like all systems go. So it was basically like your standard process of how you work day to day out the window. Yeah. Wow, that is like terrifying. Cold cold calling is hard. Did it work? Yeah, like we just had to keep trying. So mm. you'd get some people who, yeah. you know, might might still be looking. And, but a lot of them really, everyone went into survival mode because we didn't know what, what we were to expect. Like mm. March 2020. Everyone was just so like you just were revenue grabbing because you just didn't know when you're going to get money. Yeah. Like, every yeah. single business was like no one knew what people behaviours were going to look like in the last, in the next Or when it was going to end. And right. the, yeah, the broader strategy went out the window. Yeah. Mm. yeah. It was like find some jobs and recruit for them regardless of how aligned they are with our broader yeah. strategy. Just go for it. Yeah, yeah. It was just kind of like a, a money grab. A yeah. Dance yeah. Like it sounds dirty to say that, but it is. It was just I think everyone was just in money grab mode where it's like we'll sell even if we had to, the word pivot got used that yeah. many times. But it's true because all of us had to work out, okay, how are we going to make that money? How are you going to make money? That's a really interesting angle because I think you hear the pivoting story a lot in businesses where they're selling a product and what they had to do and change. Like you hear it a lot in hospitality or even like in product development and what we've done in the past, changing our actual physical product. But when your business is other people, and there's so much uncertainty, like knowing a pathway yeah. to change People is really... is your product. Yeah. yeah. yeah, Very, very interesting. How did you transition out of that? Like, when did things start to turn back the other way for you at work? I reckon we went through like a six-month period where we were just absolutely grinding through mm, yeah. strategy out the door, just get on with it, try and bring in new work. And then things slowly started to to open up, but I think... A lot of it came around to educating the clients around us that mm. we're coming out of lockdown, the economy needs to to keep pushing forward while we need to be cautious and, yeah. and careful with, with how we operate and what we do. There were still plenty of restrictions. Yeah. It came down to educating clients that we're, we're going to go through a tough time in terms of finding the right candidates mm. and being that true advisor yeah. and consultant. That's what sets you apart in, in service delivery rather than being transactional and doing what a client asks of you. It's about challenging them and educating them on the market and the state of what's going around. And if you do speak to 20 different businesses, then you've got insights to bring right to them. Yeah. So consulting with them. I love that. Mm, It's it's bringing value. That's more than just a phone conversation. I guess that's all part of people management, whether it's clients Mm. or employees. It's just connecting with them on a different level and ensuring that you're providing them value that isn't transactional. I love that. Yeah. This is by far my favourite question just because I can still picture 
our fresh out of school faces, you know, with so many ideas, so much pressure, ATAR scores are coming out and you're all stressed. What is the biggest piece of advice that you would tell your fresh out of school self? Do you mean when I received my enter score, now referred to as ATAR score, when I received my enter score and it was much lower than what I hoped for, so I put on Firework by Katy Perry and went on a run and cried? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's how you can deal with it. Is that that what you're referring to? At least you did something like good while crying and you can like eat a burger and cry. I was going to say, I was going to be more down like the food, Ali. I like that you I love that. Go for a run. It's like like the positive with the negative. It's like, ugh. And Katy Perry, it's a nice choice, but I love it. No, it's more like, do you ever feel like a plastic bag? You're like, I am a plastic bag. (laughs) This angel score has caused me to feel like a plastic bag. I am, I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Emotional crisis. Yeah, it was an emotional crisis because you would never or now, like if you look yeah. back at your poor self then who was so upset because we can all relate, like yeah. ATAR, ENTAR, whatever your score was in year 12, whatever your score was in any test you've ever done, when you get something back, you feel like Yeah, you, you beat yourself over. up. Yeah, because, yeah. you know, at that moment in your life, you haven't had much life experience. So no. that test is everything. Yeah. Absolutely. But what, yeah, what would the advice be for, to your fresh out of school self? Running. To fireworks. Yeah, to fireworks. Yeah. Like, yeah. She's fireworks. crying, picture it, you meet her on the side of the road there, you're like, hey, Leah, this is what I'm yeah. going to say to you. Now, this might sound cliche, but my advice would be to be fearless, be confident in your own abilities, and to put yourself out there. I think over time I've developed this skill to to have a crack and put myself yeah. Yeah. in front of a, a big audience of people, whether it m- might fail or, or work out, but... Yeah, I think it comes down to backing your own abilities and putting yourself out there and not being so worried about what people think. I know that sounds really cliche. I don't know. But I don't it think is cliche. Cliche. Yeah. I think people need to hear it over and over and over yeah. again until it gets in your head. And I think the best, you know, people always have this thing around ageing and, you know, getting older, but the best thing about getting older and as we're going as we're getting older in our careers I mean we have more experience is you care less and you're able to just as you said have a crack and you realize how important that cliche is end of the day no one really cares yeah no one really cares you think about yes and you think about this podcast you two have completely put yourself out there absolutely and it can be exposing and Mm, it can be vulnerable but now you look at the following that you have in a really short period of time hashtag whiz you know what? Yeah. when you start something anything it's like oh are people gonna look at me i remember in covid you know that was really like oh, that was when we started doing linkedin videos and i know leah you yes. did them as well so leah yes. kind of inspired me because leah did quite a few videos for her where, where she used to work on linkedin and obviously during covid it was never a better time to start putting video content out there but oh my goodness when I had to put a camera to my face and talk into it and then upload it myself to my own thing yes I would look back right now and cringe we'll post some of these for everyone to see (laughs) we need to let them know how far we've come yeah this is this quality audio that you're listening to today is a work in progress like many of the things we do no but and 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 remember Lee you kind of set the standard for that for me personally Mm. because you put yourself out there first started doing videos of yourself like just selling your product which was at that time recruitment and it was amazing I saw it I was like oh my god that's awesome like earlier now there was not one inch of me that watched that video and was like ew cringe Leah take that down I looked at it and I was like 
oh my God, I wish I had the confidence to do that. Yeah. And it wasn't until I spoke to Leah and I was like, I love that you're doing that. And Leah was like, we'll do it. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's so pretty, simple, but yeah. it's so it's so silly that we get it. Like I was like, I wish I had the confidence to do it. And like Leah's like, well, you have a phone. I have a phone. Get on with it. You're a human. I'm a human. Like, what's the difference? The only difference was my head being like, "Uh, what if, like, that random person from high school sees me and is like, why are you doing that? Like, no one is doing this. It's all in your head. So, yeah, I think that's the best piece of advice you could give yourself. Definitely. That's awesome. Well, Leah, thank you so much for coming in today for being our first official Friday guest. If you have any questions for Leah, we will put her LinkedIn in the show notes. Hit her up. Um, hit her up. As we said, people and culture is arguably one of the most important functions within a business, mm-hmm. especially now coming into, out of, sorry, COVID and with all the new working conditions, mm-hmm. whether it's work from home and, I don't know, employee wellness has never been more important. So if you have any questions, please Hit her up or hit us up. We can be the middleman. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Leah. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And we will see everyone next week. Monday Mind Mark. See you then. Bye. Bye.